What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast, another ultimate somber edition. Oh, we are here to recap the catastrophic loss that was Wednesday night at the hands of the Bradley Braves in a game. It's more than just a tale of two halves. It is utter collapse. I'm Nick Malone, joined by Noah Lurch. And Noah, I mean... There's already, I mean, this is historic. I mean, it was a game where not only is it the second largest bone lead in college basketball this year, which was a 24 point lead in, the, in a Colgate Syracuse game, but this is tied for the second largest blown lead in Missouri Valley basketball history, going all the way back to 1977 when Bradley, a team that's clearly not in the league anymore, New Mexico State, there was a 28 point blown lead in that one something that hasn't happened in that long and of course the dogs were a part of it what's going on yeah it's just the last two games have been very tough to watch and obviously the two games get two games skid in our toughest stretch of what we talked about here recently and going into tomorrow is just having a collapse like that and it's just crazy the way it happened and just the factors in we'll jump into and then yeah it's crazy you mentioned historic blown leads and how you mentioned new mexico state they came back from a 23 point deficit in their own second half and won last night and i know you're a memphis fan they blew a second half 20 point lead so the the blown leads here in the last couple of days it it's just incredible and just crazy to see some things that happen in the college basketball and it's worse for SIU because not only everything, yeah, we'll touch on some things of like broader scope of, you know, what's accumulated in a lot of different conversations, but just for this team itself, as you said there and what we tweeted before the game, I just want to remind everybody how important this game is tonight because your stretch coming up here, if you go 0-3 in this stretch, you can kiss for the, for the time being, kiss a top four seed goodbye. We'll talk about the probabilities that newly came out too, and we'll also dive into – you know, how we do every year. We'll talk about what seeds we would actually prefer, you know, with this kind of trajectory. Maybe it's not the worst thing, missing the top four. We'll, we'll talk about those because it seems like if we were in the top four, the seed we would like is not going to happen from this point on. So, again, you lose these games. Drake and Bradley at home. We can easily, you know, put down sweeps from both those teams. And we know the other tough road games we have and said it also – the other night is how can we be confident on the road if we cannot win at home? And this one, again, you can't, we had a 20 point lead at halftime, got up to a 23 point lead. I mean, oh, we'll just start off talking about the first half. I mean, we, it couldn't have gone better to be honest. I mean, there were moments where not only were we making so many shots, if we were to go into like, just, just glancing at the first half box score, we shot, we shot, what do we shoot from the field? 59%, 50 from three. And it's like nothing wrong can happen. And, you know, X had X and AJ, which those are our two guys we've said, you know, and we talked amongst ourselves. We didn't say on the pod. It's like these two guys, almost like we can't pick them for dogs, you know, of the game from his point out because they're our two most important players. AJ's playing phenomenal. He was getting to the rim on the plays they keep drawing up for him. He, the way he's able to control his body and finish at the rim is incredible. We'll dive into how that should have been used at the very end of the game. But, I mean, no, there were only a couple bright spots, or I say a couple. There were a lot of bright spots, actually, in the first half. We'll dive into who even didn't play of the usual 10. 
a lot of stuff, but we looked great in that first half. And Bradley actually, it's crazy. Bradley did not look like they belonged on the same court as us, honestly, in that first half. Your overall thoughts of how that first half went on our side. Yeah, I felt like it was the perfect half for us, honestly, and shows you the way of our game plan was working and moving the ball and getting downhill and attacking the basket was working perfectly and just getting guys. I mean, AJ is just his little stretch of having, I think, 11 points and whatever kind of minutes. He got his second foul, so a little bit of foul trouble for him that held him out for part of that first half or he would have played a lot more and could have extended that lead in that first half even more. But um, the game plan was honestly great. And obviously it shows you if you're not ready to play on the road, which it, it's, it was kind of shocking to see by a Brian Wardle coach team that they weren't really ready. And we really just got after them defensively and they had a poor, poor shooting first half, but I mean, our team played, that's the best, 20 minutes of basketball we'll see from this team and it, it just continues to show in this league how important it is to, to be ready to play a full 40 minute game and we couldn't start it any better in that first half no and how many times have we heard you know from brian or from it's everything in college basketball how you 40 minute game 40 minute game and it's like well sometimes you can't play perfect 40 minutes everybody knows that you want to play a perfect 38 minutes you might have a stretch of the game knowing basketball is a you know a game of runs but to look as good as we did I agree best 20 minutes of that I think they the team acknowledged that as well I mean again 16 of 27 from the field Bradley 9 of 27 I mean and they none of their guys just looked right like we know how hot Hickman was coming into this game you know, Trent was on him for most of it and shutting him down. They weren't getting anything. They were turning it over. Jonovic came in. I'm just thinking of guys off the rip. Jonovic came in, looked slow, didn't do anything good for them. I mean, Hannah and Malavai weren't doing their usual. Malavai looked – it's crazy seeing him in person. Just his physique is so crazy. I mean, physically, Bradley did not look ready to play. And kudos to us for making shots. But it was all wiped away in a flash. You know, how the vibes were tremendous – Knowing we were up 21, Mike Mike Reese appreciation night. He's there. They're showing the videos through the through the media timeouts, and then he's able to speak to everybody at halftime. And vibes were incredible. They gave out towels, and at the very end there, because I just remember you telling me, he said, "Go dogs, let's win this game." And I just we were both thinking again, like I said, you said it, and he was like, "Well, you better hope, or we better hope we win this game." And for some reason, just I had a bad feeling, kind of. And we know how great Brian Wardle is, and we know how great. Bradley is we knew they're going to claw back it's hard to sustain 20 something point leads but you need to be able to punch back when you got punched and Noah I mean I can't even I can't even describe the kind of great play Bradley was on I mean it's more than just you know I mean it was clearly just a thing of us playing like or us not playing to lose compared to playing smart and playing you know confidently in the second half I mean Again, the, the flip they were able to switch. I mean, there was a thing about how many, you know, the kind of runs that they went on. Uh, they closed, I mean, just leading up to like the final minutes of the game, 13 to four run they closed on. They turned 10 of our turnovers into 14 points. And we only scored six points on and on eight Bradley turnovers throughout. But no, it's, it's the kind of stuff that was insane, what we were seeing, what Bradley was doing. And I even noticed at the end of the first half, 
things became a lot harder for us on offense. Bradley started to do their usual defense. They were starting to play really well in a flash. And it was like, we scored, I think Canard's free throws were like the only points we had, like a, a stretch there. And so it was like, okay, we didn't really end the half well. And well, they just came out fire and dive into the kind of things that Bradley was doing that made it to where it's like, okay, we're getting, we're getting punched in the face. Sometimes a little bit, we're able to match them in some way. But no, they were turnovers, like I said, that were leading to their points. And talk about the percentage they shot in the second half. It's, there's clearly something we could have done. It's not one of those, oh, they did so much. There's nothing you can do about some things. Maybe some crazy shots they were shooting. But it was all them. Talk about everything that went wrong. Yeah, it's just the way you see – I mean, they shot 70% overall in the second half, 71% from three in the second half. I mean, that's just them making shots – uh, I mean, I think they only shot seven three, so they're five of seven for three in that second half. Um, they shot twenty three field goals in that second half, shooting seventy percent. But that's, I mean, the threes. Besides, there was a pull up late by Duke Dean, kind of on a halfway fast break, you can call it. Um, then the one to for them to I think was it the T- Hickman's to tie it uh, or to take the lead. Uh, I can't remember, but those were pretty good looks. But the other ones, they just they made a couple, and it's just crazy to see for the second half defensively. I mean, they were blowing by Trent and Troy. I I get I get it. We talked about the backdoor stuff of the last game of Drake. Our three point defense is one of the best and we continue to see Luke Martin post those stats about how great it is and stuff like that but as a coach you have to make adjustments and it's just the way they looked in the second half the adjustments they made it just continues to blow my mind about how our coaching staff adjust in-game adjustments rotations continue to get coach circles around by these better coaches in this league and obviously we you know if you listen to us we you know how we feel about Brian Wardle me and Nick thinks he's at least top two coach in the league and he coached circles around our staff that second half and they were attacking like the big big moments of that second half where their first big run um X had a turnover but we take waited too long to take a timeout to try to stop momentum and we took out X in the middle of their big run and I know he was getting his knee looked at or had blood on his on his one leg um but you just can't you can't take your best player out even though he had a very poor second half and um just too many turnovers as a group in that second half but they were just attacking I mean there was one play or one layup late um that they came out of a timeout and just the way Trent was guarding Hickman, I was like, he's going to blow by him and he was going to, he's going to get fouled or something at the rim. And of course it happened. Like we're just over aggressive defensively and their adjustments of, well, they saw we were getting downhill on them in the first half. So they, they took that to heart and they, I mean, Brian, Brian Wardle said it in his post game, you got to be prepared to play that team for 40 minutes and, we just took our foot off the gas. We were so aggressive in that first half, and it's like halftime. Brian went in there and said, all right, guys, we've got a, got a big lead. Let's go into our, our 
prevent offense and we're going to run that cl- shot clock down to 10. And there was a lot of possessions of that. And we, we missed some, we had some good looks like we have been, and it just continues to show if, if that game isn't the tail of our season, we, sh- we show what we're made of, what we can be in that first half. In the second half, we just go into a very poor offensively scheme group and we waste, try to waste clock and try and, we're playing not to get beat and playing like we're a little bit scared and they just uh, credit to obviously it's, it's unacceptable by us, but you have to give Brian Wardle and his staff for the adjustments they made and playing guys. Kyle Thomas played in that second half. He, he, he doesn't usually play for them. They're playing guys playing a walk on guard. I mean, just credit to them, but it's just still very unacceptable by our staff and it has to be put on our staff, even though our players have to be, have to be better in the end. It's something right there, though, that you said was and like not stopping their run, though. Like we wait a little too long, and the next thing you know, they're on this six zero or you know or more run that no timeout called. It's like, what are you saving your timeouts for? It's like, sure, maybe at the end, but if you're confident enough and how you're going to play and how you're going to adjust here, you might not need to use them like later on. So it's like, okay, do it now, save face, and do all that stuff, and. None of that was happening, so it's definitely on the staff in that regard for not stopping the runs. But it was definitely, and again, it's always it's always coaching and it's always execution. Obviously, there's a mix of whatever percentage. It's always a percentage of both. It's just however it's displayed, you know, throughout a particular game. And it's hard to really say. It's probably 50-50. It's probably 60-40 coaching, 70-30 coaching. But you know the execution's in there. And – not only are you sure we a great three point prevent team, but when you drive on us and we don't have the help defense, cause we got a poor defender Clarence not helping off or something else. You know what we've said before, I don't know if we've said on here, this team doesn't set charges. I mean, how many times in the, in years past have we said JD or even Jawan last year, these guys are setting charges all the time, but we don't have anybody on that team that does it. And so no one's willing to help off and be there. So as you said, Hickman was beating Trent to the rim constantly. I mean, one of the final plays of the game, you know, he luckily missed it, but it was easy. And we were, you know, no help. Everybody was on the other side of the court, and it was just Trent one-on-one. And luckily, we did have somebody go over last second. He had a, a circus shot that he barely didn't get to go in. And, um, but you mentioned that that the corner three he hit was to tie the game. And it was it was out, off one of our bad turnovers. I think it was X's. And it was just dribble, dribble. And kick, you know, Hickman was running the floor, found him in the corner three. And shout out to Duke Dean. I think he was playing awesome in these previous games, you know, scoring 20-something consistently and holding him at bay in the first half like we were everybody. But he exploded. He was shooting one-footed threes. I mean, he's so quick. And he, the the shots he was able to shoot and the, and the ones in transition, sometimes you can't do anything about it. But there's points where he was open. It's like nobody was even around him. It's like – no duh, they're going to come back. And then it gets to when we get in the paint where Darius and Malavi are easily getting their usual like floaters and their release points are unbelievable. There's nothing you can do. And all that bled into, you just couldn't make the shots you made in the first half. As you said, we got some good looks and, you know, X shot like two of nine in the second half and had six points. And yeah, his hurt, his leg did get hurt. And luckily it, when he came back in at one point, he, you know, he it looked fine. He was, you know, running like his usual. And then there was a loose ball that ended up, I think that they got, or it was a jump ball or something, X dove on the floor. So he was fine in those aspects. But 
you know, his turnovers continue to be a problem. And it's to the point now where we always say we'll live with X's turnovers, but not when these crucial games are and how crucial they become. You said we played scared 100%. We did. It was scared. It was the yips. It was playing not to lose. And you can see it. But that's definitely led by the coach and making sure they don't play that way. It's If you see it in them, call a timeout, make sure and dig into them, scream at them, say, do not blow this game, quit acting scared. you got to show that kind of thing. And we're on the far side of the court. We've seen Brian yell in his in his huddles. Not sure if he would have. I, I mean, it was definitely warranted. And there was a point where I was like, you know, when it got to the consistent 8, 11 or something, Troy hit a big three in the second half. X had a huge floater to keep us within a little bit of a lead, but then sometimes we wouldn't do it. And, but I was like, oh, eight point lead, five sec or five minutes. I was like, okay, surely, you know, we're not really near the bonus. There may, maybe they'll, we'll get there and they'll foul us. We'll make free throws and none of it got there. And they just kept shooting the shot 70%. Like you said, I mean, again, it, it it's catastrophic. You blow by one or you lose by one. No, and the final play was, it was after a timeout and there were some, you know, plays out of timeouts that, we're not working at all. And it's like, you had two minutes to figure something out. And, you know, we knew everybody knew where it was going. Everybody knew X was going to shoot. Malibai was on him in the second half and AJ was in the corner. It's like, Hey, run AJ's play here. They're only expecting two plays that or X doing something isolation. And they were drawn up like they were going to do that. But then of course it was okay. Let's all just Stay over there, X. I saw him on the deep on the reigning defensive player of the year who had a steal and two blocks in this game, or one block, two steals. And he crossed him over pretty well. He got the look. No, I know you've said before, if X is fading a little right, maybe he's not going to make it. And perhaps that's what happened. Maybe he didn't expect to get that open. But no, he had the look. And honestly, if we love X and he's been a phenomenal, he needs to make that shot. If he's going to obviously continue to be what he is, He's going to still make first team, but he needs to prove that he's up there with players of the year and players like that hit that kind of shot. Your thoughts on how the game finished in that regard and your overall final thoughts before we move on. Yeah, it's just that's the play you run out of the timeout. You take the timeout to draw up a play, and that's – we just – everybody, like you just said, everybody knew what was going to happen. It was going to be an ex-ISO. Uh, you, you, you spent 30 seconds – you didn't draw that up. There's no way you drew that up. No way you drew up an ISO play for X. And it's just what when's the last time Brian's out of a timeout drew up something and we've hit uh, a tying late baskets or something like that. And the only one I can think of, and there's been many times we haven't got shots off under Brian Mullins. The only only last one I can think of was a miracle play, full court pass to Marcus, and he had a three against Missouri State. Where is the coaching? Five years ago. Yeah, it was almost half a decade ago. Like, where is the coaching? Where are we drawing up stuff? Like, there's got to be something where this coaching staff takes the blame for something because you can't tell me out of timeout we just drew up an isolation play. Like, get out of here. It's just a very frustrating way to lose this game. And this last two games have – put everybody's patience to the test with this staff. And and there's a lot more to talk about off that, but it's just, you just can't lose a game like that. That's just, it takes away from decent games from guys. I mean, Troy was very good in this game, a lot better. He had a big key turnover, but he had nine points, six assists, four rebounds. 
And it takes away from Clarence. Clarence rebounded absolutely. He was the player of the game. Ten points, seven rebounds. I mean, the turnovers at, at some point have to stop, especially with X. I mean, we only had ten turnovers. You live with ten as a good number, ten or less, and you'll take it. But it seems like all of ours continue to be at the worst times, and it just it sucks. It's got to be. We're going to see what this team's made of because the trip they got to make, obviously, this weekend is not a good one in Saluki's history. So it's just there's a lot to talk about outside of this, but it just shows you, especially with the the coaching staff involved, but it just shows you that. Like you said, no Jovan in this game. Trey Miller barely played. Jarrett barely played. Scotty got his 11 minutes. It's just, it's, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot to talk about outside of this ending of this game, but just very frustrating. I mean, me personally, I was screaming at Tim Leonard to fire Brian Mullins right on the spot. Like, there has to be, and you put in one of our tweets that maybe we need to release a statement, like, out of nowhere, like, Missouri State did because that's unacceptable and at some point the staff has to take some blame um not just we gotta his opening statement was we gotta play better well no shit Brian like come on I know it's coach speak but at some point you gotta say I gotta put at the end I gotta put us in a better position have a better shot because uh, an ISO play you're just not gonna get much when it comes down to us because it seems like it I, I mean let's just go back in his five years now ISO play there it was probably Austin P. They pressed us. X could turned it over. It's probably going to end up being ISO X. But in the last five years, it's been Marcus ISO in the post. Like he's just drawing up ISO plays, and that's just bad coaching, and needs to be taken. He needs to take some take some blame for this because coaching's been piss poor lately. Yeah, and I don't understand how he can even go in the post game and. Say those things, the obvious, but it's not take blame. And we listen to the whole thing. You know, of course, you want to hear what he's got to say. It took a while, of course. He sounded dejected as everybody else did. And, you know, they proceeded to talk about Trey Miller playing good or somebody else playing good, the usual stuff. It's, oh, someone's either someone's getting better or someone's big for us. Or it was like the stuff that's like bad for the moment. I don't recall if it was a question asked in that regard. He, he wouldn't just go on a tangent about something like that. They talked about things of why they – you know, of why they lost, but um, 100%. I mean, even – I mean, those three chances this year, we had chances to win. Austin P. we blew a lead as well. You should have never been put in that, in, that, in that situation, and you're doing these at home. You know, it's one thing, and that's why, you know, this situation of the fact that, you know, no matter what you did last year, no matter what you've done this year to exceed expectations, this still is a current team that not only relies on one player – and shows good moments at times, but you have to win at home. Like that's why you, you know, you blow historic, you know, Bradley's, this is their best comeback ever, but it's like home. I want to know if this is our biggest home, you know, home let up ever. Like it's gotta be up there. And it's like when, when we're a standard of being great at home for the most part in our whole history, that alone requires like, no matter, like I said, what anything has happened to this point and, Tim Leonard, whatever, you know, in his in his brain was, you know, mentioning how or thinking to himself about the situations coming up, you know, contracts expiring and what he said in, in you know, previous years about, you know, Brian being his guy and everything that's hanging over a lot of people, hanging over the athletic director who hasn't 
you know, showed any, any willingness to talk about or even get any feelers out there for extending the head coach that has done great things, but there's reasons why they're putting it off. And I want to touch on some other things and we'll dive into this. And I think it's an appropriate podcast where I think we'll just go ahead and move on to Northern Iowa. Might touch on some other things here. Uh, but, you know, him saying that and like everything leading up to this point, it's like, sure, absolutely. It, you know, sure, he's deserved it. And if he doesn't finish ninth like he was picked and he, let's say he plays, doesn't, you know, doesn't play on Thursday and he finishes top four, I think it's a no brainer. But why have they put it off to this point? It's like, okay, hey, let's prove it from last year. You're losing two top notch players, prove it. And it's like, okay, well, you know, and you've done awesome to this point, but you can't lose games like this. And it's not like all the time, you know, when there's a proper situation, you're feeling good about a lot of different things. And these are the kind of games, though, that, that are bigger than just, oh, it's a typical basketball game. You blew it. Let's move on. It's more than that because this program is, you know, there's something hovering over everything. And a lot of people are having these conversations. And a, a loss like this at home, when you preach to get people here, all that stuff, and, you know, you do something like this warrants any conversation, let alone the ones that have already been, you know, needing to happen. And again, you've done fine to this point. And but the last two games, these are the games you needed. You don't need to lose by 18 to Drake. And then but it's everything with X's and O's that factors into so many other things, Noah. But quickly, I just because I'm thinking about how many wins we'd have three more wins if we took care of this game, beat a lowly Austin P team with these opportunities with exit into the game. And then Wichita, you should have beat Wichita. Wichita's lost like six of their last seven games. Like they're not even good. They have a couple of good players, everything we know, but you know, you had the chance there and it was the obvious play that they knew what was coming to. And shout out to DeGray for being there and blocking it from the front. I've said, if he wasn't there to block it from the front, X makes that layup and all is good in the world. And again, you know, this is just a season where you can't have these kind of slip ups on it. it, it I, about, I was about to say, honestly, it's it's obvious. You can't have these kind of slip ups and it bleeds into, again, the future of what holds anything on the horizon. So, you know, just the, the probability for Bradley in this game. I mean, people were posting it. It was like the last three minutes. It was like it hovered towards 50 50 and then it just skyrocketed clearly as they took the lead. But again, if X just hits that shot, we'd still be pissed off about it. But we'd, you know, we'd we'd have a win. It's okay, you stole this game, but again, now you're on pace to go get swept by them and and a lot of others with that game on the horizon. All your thoughts on everything I just alluded to there, and everything obviously you feel about it. And it's good to have these kind of conversations, though. It's like we still have 14 games left. We know this, and we want to finish out this season. But knowing how the runs of this season, what you don't do, and what you have coming up, that can drown you to a spot that you don't really want to be at, and you're maybe not going to last there all the time, but you're going to be in a spot that you thought you were better than, honestly. So, Noah, your overall final thoughts on this before we move on. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this staff has yet to improve, and obviously there's a lot of talk about what needs to be talked about, and obviously everybody is going to say the same thing. They love Brian as a Slukey. They want nothing more than for him to succeed, and we all feel this way but it's it's time to start having that discussion, but no means I mean obviously I was screaming at Tim Limmerd it. We're not calling for to be fired yet, but it the discussion is starting to be needed. I mean, just looking at the quick future, we're looking at let's go back you you lost two big ten starters, and one is they're both playing extremely well in the big ten. 
we wasted their careers and now here we are another we thought we thought it was a lot better than it was supposed to be obviously Hensley with the waiver situation but the portal class is RJ McGee we don't know if he's dressing or when he's when he's dressing or when he's not dressing we just show up always oh, dressed tonight that's we'll jot it down for for our notes blah 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 Trey Miller's still just not getting the opportunity he deserves. I mean, he came in, played a pretty good ball game, but it's just he's always getting screamed at offensively when he he has the opportunity to go score a layup. He can go get by somebody, but it's always he's getting screamed at by Brian to bring the ball out and let's do a pick and roll or something else because it's just crazy. I mean, it, it I mean, like I said, the discussion needs to be hard, and you're losing the second – just going into next year already. You're losing the second leading scorer in the country, and you have no 2024 guys even committed, no signed, not even barely recruiting them. We have a small short list of who's available, and and then you're going to rely on another portal portal additions. I just don't see it. I love looking ahead the future. I love A.J. Ferguson. I know what Clarence can be and a couple other guys, but – it's not looking good and the discussion just needs to be started because it's they like you said they we got 14 games left in the season i think this staff has 14 games left to save their jobs no doubt and again it's like why why have you been holding off for uh you know for this if you're going to talk about Again, we go back to that interview. He's your guy. It's like, oh yeah, okay. And then he has a great season. And then and then it's like, okay, again, you want to let him prove it. And he's doing great now. And it's not like you're gonna just on a whim say, here's your extension in the middle of this season when you still have however many games left. Like you're gonna get through the whole thing. And sure you again, you've been exceeding. But then when you lose games like this, you do you have historic losses. You show the fan base who already feel you're polarized and you know, I don't know how the heck you're going to, you know, you know, show them. It's like, okay, well, this is the kind of team. Everybody knows the team I'm I'm putting out here. And we have moments. Of course we do. We have big road wins. Even though you beat bottom feeders so far, you got to go prove somebody legit on the road. It's like, of course, all the cons we still knew of this team. But to lose like this, again, with the team you're fighting for, for that top, Three seed again. You're not gonna. You're unless Bradley loses however many in a row. We talked about what their record is here coming up, but you know just the fact that they're they're they have games at home too. Like they're gonna go on around. They're staying up there, so you missed your chance. And again, you have a game coming up that you're just not. You're not going to win. So you know I don't. It, it's it's definitely more conversations to have. You know down the road and. I agree. It's like how you continue this. If you were so good and then you become so bad, the conversations are there. It's rightfully so because you haven't extended a contract. You're you're giving him a whatever. You know, of course, if you're what with the predictions of the record we predicted, if you, you know, end up doing that and it's like, okay, well, that was the expectation, you're still hanging by a thread knowing you had to be better than what you were predicted to get this and now you can't be so high and it becomes so low. And we're not just going to, we're not saying we're going to go on a massive losing streak. It's possible. Again, every game's tough in this league. There's not the worst team in the league is actually playing well. And you host them here at the place where you can't seem to win now here coming up. So a lot of things to factor in. 
we'll have more of these conversations for sure. But again, we hope if they can turn some page here in these 14 games. We'll see if they have it in them. So again, we'll save this combo as an atrocious, atrocious loss. You know, if we were to dive into what other games happened recently and then what's on deck here this weekend, uh, some stuff had to be better than what we saw Wednesday night. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, we talked Tuesday night that Missouri State and Indiana State were getting ready to tip. Well, it, Indiana State's going to blow everybody out in Terre Haute. 88-66 win for the Trees over the Bears. 25 points led by Conwell. 24-10-4 for Avila. 15-11 for Kent. 13 for Swope. I mean, they're still playing. They blew guys out, and it's been talked about on Twitter they blew guys out, but they still played two starters 40 minutes. They played Robbie 37, Swope 34, and Conwell 32. They had three guys play off the bench. So that's something to watch for them. Uh, on the Missouri State side, NJ Benson had 14 and Austin Mason 15. Then on Wednesday night, Valpo on the road at Evansville. This is probably the best game of the night. 78-75 win for the Aces at home. They did get Hummerkhouse back. He think he played 11 minutes or so, scored seven points. They were led by Chuck Bailey with 13 off the bench, and Toomey had 13 for Valpo, led by a career high, Isaiah Stafford, 31 points. Wouldn't it be nice to have that guy on your team? So uh, other than that, Murray State went on the road and beat UIC. Nick Ellington, career night, 29 points for him. Rivera had 16 for the Flames. Drake, went on the road and destroyed Illinois State, uh, 77-56. Tucker had 25. He's continuing to dominate. Uh, Burford had 14 for the Redbirds. Then you and I, the team we play, goes on the road and wins where nobody wins. In Nashville, beat Belmont 83-72. Heiss had 20. K. Tyson had 29. So just a lot of things. And upcoming this weekend, uh, All's, all, I think one Sunday game, all the rest is on Saturday. One o'clock, Belmont on the road in Carver Arena against Bradley. Bradley favored by 11. Uh, Illinois State on the road in Missouri State. Minus uh, Bears, even though they're struggling, six and a half point favorites against the Redbirds. UIC at Falpo, that's a good game. UIC favored by three and a half on the road. That's pretty surprising. Evansville on the road at Drake. We all know what that's going to happen. 17 and a half points favorites for Drake. I would take the minus in that. Then on ESPN two on Sunday, Indiana state at Murray state. If the trees go on the road and that's a tough place to play. We there next Saturday. If they go on the road and win by double digits, that's just give them the league. Yeah. It was that other Wednesday game, the the matinee that had those two teams. Now you're fighting with four, and again, we'll get to probabilities here shortly. We'll talk about a lot more things, actually. But, uh, you know, that's a game. And now they split with each other. They both have a, a matchup. And you and I going in there and being the only team to beat Belmont in Nashville this year, knowing that it's on the horizon for us sometime next month. So it's just it's just crazy. And you're playing, you're playing a hot-ass team. So Murray continues to get the, you know, get the job done. They're, no one's really talking about them. And, you know, they can do a crazy thing on that Sunday, as you said, hosting Indiana State, 4 o'clock. I'm not sure what that spread would be, but it'd be interesting. Uh, if Indiana State, yeah, if they win that, then we'll keep saying what we've been saying. Until that collision course next month with Drake and what that game could be, uh, 
they'll just keep flying. That should be an interesting one, though. And there's some Belmont at Bradley's interesting. Now we're like almost rooting for Bradley to get these kind of wins. So we're we're pulling for some teams. Now you're now you're seed watching to where it gets to this point. And if we were to quickly go into the standings going into before we talk about probabilities, Drake, Indiana State, of course, six and one. Murray and Bradley at five and two. Us, Belmont, and Northern Iowa at four and three. Missouri State, Evansville, and Illinois State, two and five. And then UIC and Valpo, one and six. Those two teams are playing each other soon, fighting for the 12 seed. And Valpo could very well get that dub. Uh, so, you know, if we were to dive into these probabilities of updated in that sense, we're talking about Net and Kempom as well. Start with Net and Kempom if you wouldn't care. We'll d- and then dive into probabilities, and then we'll discuss – kind of what we would like to happen by the end of the season we're thinking yeah and then honestly we didn't even drop that much in Ken Palm down to 108 um in Ken Palm Northern Iowa's up to 90 99 uh other Valley schools if you jump up into Bradley's up to 79 now so that's three teams in the top 80 that's really good and that's with Northern Iowa that's four teams top 100 Drake at 60, and then scroll all the way up. Indiana State at 40, then other teams below us. So if you scroll all the way down, the next closest team in Kempom would be Murray State at 137, Belmont at 140. So they're they're right there. Then other teams um, are too far to scroll down because uh, I think UIC fell down to 192, so they're still top 200. That's good for them and their program, but other teams – are just falling off a cliff. I, Illinois State, I don't know what they fell down to, but, I mean, then, then uh, Net, they only update, I think, once a week. So I think everything's still the same. We're, we're still pretty good in Net if you look at that as a conference. I think in Ken Palm, conference, conference ranking-wise in Ken Palm, we're still top 10. I think we're at 10 compared to if you compare it to last year at this time, I think we were down to 16 or something. So improved as a conference, a lot tougher conference, um, but we're still at, yeah, we're still at 102 in net. So they've yet, they update that every Monday, I think. So um, didn't slide too far, obviously, obviously a home game losing by two. If you look at the final score, it's not going to hurt metrics too much, but um, I thought we'd fall a, lot, a little bit more until like the, maybe the one, late 110, 115, 116 area. Yeah, the fact that, you know, Bradley was hovering around us in those rankings, right? And then you and I right behind us as well. But the metrics do not favor. You know, it didn't seem like it, like the drops aren't too far. They should be further. And, you know, seeing us on some power rankings too, it's like all that's warranted. You cannot blow the second biggest lead in college basketball this season. And like we said, the historic ones, the metrics do not favor those one bit. So, uh, like I said, feeding into what the standings are, are the probabilities. You know, we have the highest. I mean, Indiana State's a 70% chance to get the one. Drake, 25% chance of leaving it up to them. And if they very well sweep and beat beat them and tear out and they both win most of their games, that very well, that'll shoot up. It's obviously ever-changing. But Drake does have the highest percentage for two at 45. Bradley at – or Indiana State then at 25. Bradley at 21. Bradley's got the highest for three, of course. And here's where we we have a three for the two not happening. We have eleven for the three. That's also not going to happen. Uh, Drake at twenty, just in case. You and I at seventeen. Murray at six, and then for the four that has you and I twenty six. Us twenty three. Bradley twenty. 
some other things, but the highest for us, or you and I also has the highest for fifth. And then we have the, or we're, I mean, no, if we look at these and we don't really have one of the, the highest for this, I'm obviously forgetting about Belmont near the top there, you know, in, in terms of the percentage wise and what even the votes are of the hundred thousand probabilities, not really favoring us at the moment, but I mean, your thoughts on it, because again, it, it is ever changing, of course. And then what we say every year is where we'd like to be in, in terms of avoiding somebody until we, until we obviously have to, we like our matchups with a lot of different teams. We'll see how that take, you know, transpires the rest of the year, but where would we like to be at the end of the day? There's always a couple of seeds that usually win that the majority. Yeah. Obviously with kind of the shorter rotations and a lot of guys minutes, obviously top four, still, still a strong wish list. Obviously that puts you in the four seed and getting a buy and have to play the number one seed, but that buy is still pretty valuable. Um, but if you're looking at other things, I mean, I would, if I'm not the, if I don't get the four, uh, obviously a three's a dream at this point, but the, th- the, the three would be the dream, but four still very valuable to get that, get out of Thursday. But I, I would not want the five. So that puts you in the six. And obviously, six right now would get you uh, looking at, looking at the standings. The six would play the 11, so you would play UIC on Thursday, then end up playing the three, which right now would be Murray State if you look at the standings. But um, I would like to be, obviously, we're we're in that 3-6 matchup last year and have been, feels like a lot, but that if I'm not the four, I definitely want to be the six, uh, six seed. Yeah, I mean – because the, th- the three seed, even though what people deemed us last year, Missouri State felt that same way. That was a crazy game. It's like three and six are almost just how close the margins are between three and six of how good the teams are. Because it's always up for, you know, the smallest, you know, tie-breaking stuff to where, you know, we we split with Belmont, but we had the tiebreaker. So we got third in that regard. We got lucky. Uh, but for sure. And again, if you get the four, the five or the seven, you're you're going to find your way to playing the top two the next round on Friday, which you don't want to do. Give yourself a, a good chance against, you know, I don't foresee an interstate and Drake falling, obviously. But, you know, in case of if Bradley were to surpass or even a hot Murray or you and I to get up there. But if it, it stays that way, it seems like it's a collision course of barring anything crazy. It's Indiana State and Drake. Bradley and you and I probably for the top four. We'll see who falls and who even would rise. But you definitely want to play a team like a Bradley who you know you can – we'll see how we do at Carver and the great fan bases that all these teams bring to St. Louis. You know, it's – even on those kind of neutrals, it's always hard. And they always turn it up when it comes to the tournament. So, again, there's really no favorable matchup. But you want to make it as easy as possible for you. And, again, we definitely want to stay out of Thursday. So, a four would be awesome. But, again, it, it leaves you in a tougher – in a tougher spot, uh, obviously through the rest of the tournament. So if it, I agree, if it's not a four, it's easily a six. And it seems like that's where we could be headed and where if we stay on this track right here, take care of some games and try to fight in some others. You just never know how these games are going to go. You can't even foresee anything like that happening. Who knows how it will end up. But always, you know, enjoy Matt Hackman and what he brings out of these. There will be many more for the remaining weeks. Uh, no, before we dive into the Panthers, let's talk about just another another offer. And again, that's one of the polarizing things about 
the staff. And not only did you mention, you know, we don't have anybody here for 2024, whether that's overall recruiting or whether that's, you know, of course, portal itself happens, you know, right as soon as the season ends and throughout the whole off season, it's high schoolers. You should have gotten to this point and even some other levels that maybe you can convince the guy nowadays, it's always just a waiting game, but we talked about how some guys so far, whether they're high schoolers or now this new Juco one, not the sexiest. And again, you know, you're not always going to get the sexiest. It all just depends. You can get a three-star in Kennard Davis, or you can get, again, portal-wise, you get these guys that don't do much where they're at, and they, you know, it's skittish of them coming in here and doing what they can do. As you said, you know, this past year's portal class has been very up and down. Uh, so, again, you're waiting on that. But high schoolers, we've seen some recent ones. But, again, no, none of them are really blowing us away. And what's this – well, we do have one. We mentioned all right. We like all rights potential at link prep. You know, some ones we do like over others. Uh, but no, we have another one as well. Like I said, more of the college ranks here and getting in the JUCO uh, waters. Yeah, this one's pretty confusing because if you look, if you saw a retweet, I mean, you're competing for a kid who's a freshman in JUCO. So obviously a lot of eligibility you can jump maybe right away up here. But it's our logo with Kentucky State, Bowling Green, and we couldn't even tell you what that third logo on there. It's not their college is. He goes to Schoolcraft College and up in Michigan. They are a juke like in the Michigan Community College Athletic Association division. Uh then he has a three point seven GPA. So that check you can check that off for Brian Mullins. And he posted some mid season highlights back in December and late December. Seven points a game, four six. Says he's a quick hill, quick downhill guard, lockdown defender. I mean, he is I don't even know what his size is. It doesn't even say on the roster how big he is, but just looking at his highlight, his little highlight clip, it doesn't look like he's very big. So six foot, maybe at the the highest. He he's from There's Detroit. No way, he's six foot. Yeah, that's what I said at the high. So I, he went to Oak Park High School, uh, in Detroit. Um, so it's definitely it's a it's, this is a head scratcher. I I like I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna believe, uh, him for. We're showing interest in him, but I was hoping it's one of those where it just says uh, Southern Illinois University and no logo because sometimes we can get that mixed up with SAUE, obviously Edwardsville State. So uh, definitely a head scratcher in this one, obviously, like I said. It, he's a graduate of spring 2024 with an associate degree. He has a 3.7 GPA, so he hits, and he's a, apparently a defensive stopper, so that fits Brian Mullins. Right up his right up Brian Mullen's alley, so I guess it will take him by his word. Yeah, it's to a T. Defensive stopper, almost a four and everything else. Sure, he's tough. I mean, again, if we've talked endlessly about this, and we'll continue to talk about it about guys you bring in. If you're going to bring in JUCOs or lower levels or anything, even decent high schoolers, they got to be averaging over fifteen points a game, like. You know, it's tough to go get a role player on a high school team. I think they can come to Division One and be that or more kind of thing. And because we haven't gotten anybody, you're starting to narrow down some options. And a guy that, you know, seven and four just doesn't cut it. If it's not cutting it already in college, then it's not going to cut it at the Division One level. That's a fact. So, of course, it's always interest. 
it's never anything official, but it's on the radar and they like what they see apparently. And yeah, we'll take his word for it for sure because is the picture is there, but nobody of our staff follows him. That's always an indication of some kind. That's not always the end all be all. But again, he is, you know, judging off that highlight, there's a couple other people that are making plays. I would, it's a generous six foot, I would say. Uh, but Keon Henderson will add him to the list from a school craft college. So nobody's ever heard of that, rightfully so. So again, it's, it, it, they are head scratching and, you know, just how these guys get on the radars is kind of incredible because they look for the specific things. And of course, that's a con. You got to go outside your comfort zone sometimes. So we're always going to mention guys that come, you know, to our attention and everything. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for more and more as time goes on. So no, let's talk about let's end this talking about the Red Hot Panthers. You know, they they had the the toughest non-conference of any team by far. Uh, you know, they had some games that they honestly let slip. And of course they were picked. What were they picked first or second, second. to start? You know, yeah, picked second to start the year. I just remember saying, you know, they were my top team. They were my top team after last year ended, because it's like, okay, they have so many guys returning. Everyone takes the next step. And then we find out they bring in Jacob Hudson, which maybe he's playing a little better than what we would have even assumed, but he's perfect for this team. And, you know, they're just, you know, you, you Ben Jacobson, who ironically could very well break the Missouri Valley wins record tomorrow. We're thinking he will. And just the timing of that, just salt in the wound of everything. There's no doubt they don't pull out all the stops to get that win for him at home because of everything they've done on the road recently. Uh, they're obviously still a good team and they're, they're turning it up here. They got Nate Heiss who's healthy and back. He's playing phenomenal. He's playing in an all league thing. And they still have Bowen Bourne, of course, and everyone else we know about. Some guys are disappointed. You can go through everybody else, but we're hitting them at the wrong time. We like to think. And again, it's, you're playing it and we'll get into the history, I guess, more and more, you know, we're, we're not in 24 against them all time in their place. The last time we beat them on the road was during the 18-19 season when Kevion Pippen, the guy would be love to have him, dominated the paint, scoring 18, and we won by seven. Marcus Bartley had a couple threes in that game. So, again, not even under Brian, we've won there. Uh, there have been some here and there. We, you know, we played there twice in the COVID year. I remember Lance dominated those games. We didn't have Marcus, so it was kind of like a free-for-all. Uh, but historically, we just don't do it. We've won there maybe – I'm off the top of my head here, maybe whether it's true or not. We've won there like twice – since like 2003, I want to say, no, we know the history is not there. That's why we're already deeming it a loss. And that's why the previous games were ever so important. Let's talk about the Panthers, what they have this year. So many familiar faces. Who's took the next step and who's even disappointed in their, I say up and down season, but they're, they're at their best this time of year now. Yeah, this is a, this is a team that they're starting to turn in. And obviously Ben Jacobson has them going into late January into February, then March always has this team playing the best basketball. And this is a team where they're starting to look like the team. Everybody thought they would. You weren't the only one to pick them as their preseason. Number one, I think they had 19 first place votes compared to 24 that Drake was nabbed the preseason favorite. So um, just five votes off from being the preseason favorite with one of potential if he was healthy, player of the years and Bowen Bourne, like we mentioned, but you mentioned Nate Heiss. Um, he's he's playing at a very all-time level, coming off an injury, missed all of last season. So they play they play thirteen guys deep, so a lot of depth. I mean, Heiss, fourteen a game with six rebounds. He he can pass the ball to then Bowen's at fourteen a game. We know it he can go off at any time. Titan Anderson 
you think, well, we haven't heard that name much. He's still averaging 11 points, six rebounds, and he does it all defensively. Uh, then Trey Campbell, who was a freshman last year, he's averaging nine. Jacob Hudson averaging nine. Then you go from Kyle Pock, which is a really good freshman that has come on the scene recently and playing more more and better. I mean, averaging five points a game. Then I got some guys that have – three guys that really kind of underwhelmed this year. I mean, really kind of two. The one guy's a really good role player, but three guys have kind of underwhelmed. Michael Duax, we know what kind of year he had at the end of the year. Landon Wolf uh, struggling a little bit, still shooting 39% from three. Cole Henry, I mean, then they have two guys. Drew Daniel, he's a he's a third big that potentially can play here in a little bit, only plays like seven minutes a game. Then R.J. Taylor, a true freshman we were in on that could potentially down the road the next Bowen Bourne once Bowen gets out of here. But 76 points a game, they score – they're five and two at home with losses to Indiana State. Then I think Belmont went up there one of the first games of the year and blew them out by like 20. So this is a team that's starting to look really dangerous. And obviously, in, in, in my opinion, they got the best coach in the Valley still. So um, it's going to be tough. If I were to go to the dog of the game, um, I'm going to say – I'll go with Jared Hensley. I think he can be effective in this game off the bench if he gets the potential minutes. I mean, he's a good – I think he's a good matchup at the four. You can bring him in, and he can play that role, but I don't – that's up to the coaching. But I think Jared – eventually somebody's going to have a big game off the bench, and I think this isn't a good game for Scotty matchup with those bigs. So I'm going to say Jared Hensley in that one. And um, I think – we're we haven't really talked today much, but I was gonna say around probably underdogs of five, five, six, seven in that range, and I haven't looked. Let me see. And we are five and a half, so we hit another one, 135 and a half over under. So, um, like I said, I'm chalking this up as a loss. I did before these two previous games because this is a place we get beat by double digits every year. And if I were a betting man, if I could bet on SIU, I'd take that five and a half right now if I could. Exactly. And we said this, I think, if, if we were just looking at the schedule to start the year, that's a loss. I mean, again, it's no matter what team they are, no matter what team we have, it's just it's hard to do and you don't do it often. I mean, it's there's no shame in that. And, of course – the team coming off what they just did, it's like, okay, go prove yourself and go get one of the biggest wins under Brian if you would go do something like this. Not only just because how they're playing, what you just came off of, because you'd never do it, and he's never done it. We both agree, and most others, again, we don't think they're going to do it, but if, if they did, they'd put them right back in the spot that we thought they'd be if they just would have won Bradley, and okay, let's one and two here, and then we move on kind of thing, so... I mean, again, their their true road wins are hanging on against Valpo and hanging on against Illinois State. That we, you know, we saw that one and two awful teams. So you still find ways to almost screw it up at home. And let alone this is a team that's by far better than both. Probably, they're better than both of those other teams combined. And again, they're searching for that final win or that that record breaking win for for Ben Jacobson. And we know how crazy things can happen. But I think that on their side means they're going to win. They're going to do whatever it takes. Like I said, but. You know, they could beat Belmont, you know, on the road and then come home and lay an egg. You know, some teams that are as consistent as they are don't do that. We've seen it happen around the league. Some teams look great. Some teams look all Belmont blows out Drake at home. 
gets blown out elsewhere. Like it's the week, the game by game things are kind of insane. But again, teams that are this disciplined and, and uh, consistent don't really do it. We can't expect it. I mean, you said the spread there. I would have exactly said around five or six, honestly, because that's appropriate. It wouldn't be any, it shouldn't be any higher than that. Wouldn't have been any higher than that. And they have a 65% chance to win according to the matchup predictor. So we've been, of course, anyone who's at home, if you're, unless you're a bottom feeder, you're going to be favored at home for the most part. If you're one of these half or, or higher teams uh, and the percentages be as, as they may, but again, it's, I mean, other, you know, X has to play well. And if we're just going to, you know, give ourselves the ultimate chance, it's like, well, clearly it's got to be a full team thing, but X has to be good. He's got to finally get back in the twenties here, shoot efficiently, but again, you know, and he has, you know, I think they could put heights on him in this game. You know, I think, you know, Bowen and RJ Taylor cannot guard him. I don't think Trey Campbell can either. And Trey Campbell's played well. Uh, but I think this is a high game Cause I'm thinking, you know, they had started, uh, you know, Heist, Bowen, Hudson, of course, Hudson's a Clarence matchup. Uh, but then some of those others, like it seems like, you know, an AJ and Heist potentially or X guard Heist. Cause I could, I could think we could pencil in or pin in Trent Garden Bowen. And then you could put maybe X on Campbell and have to do as much, even though X is one of our best defenders. And then I trust AJ on Heist and you fill out the other spots as well. So it's interesting in that regard. Don't expect any changes from us. And they better go in and look into at least put up a fight. If you if you get blown out of here, then things just continue to get worse. If I were to go with the dog of the game as well, I like your Jarrett pick. And again, he's got to get the minutes. He had a good matchup against Bradley, and especially when you're blowing him out. At one point, it's like, sure, you don't throw in Sheridan. You at least throw in Yovan. We thought he had a good matchup with, like, the Atlasons of the world we've been saying. And even in this matchup, he could have some. But we're going to continue to ride the usuals. I agree. Scotty's probably not going to play a whole lot. You know, him and Hudson banging down low would be pretty cool. I say cool, like, interesting and, you know, a fair matchup. Uh, it, it's just, This is crazy. I mean, I feel like I've, I've picked him a lot. But, like, who can you even pick anymore? I'm going to go with Trent again because – he might have to guard Bowen more, and then he, he's got to hit shots. And, again, I we know he's relevant in other ways throughout a game, but, uh, you know, Hickman is stronger and bigger than a Bowen Bourne, so maybe the quickness helps Trent a little bit. Who knows? But that's the kind of matchup he's going to have to have. And it's – you know, Bowen doesn't have to be great for them to win, as they've shown this season. So they're just, they're just too good. They're turning it on, and they're looking for the record. We are definitely going to lose – I'm going to take you and I minus six and a half or five and a half, what you said. Um, I hope we can keep within 10, but we'll see how, I mean, they have to have it in them in this game. And, you know, Trey Miller, it's a perfect Trey Miller game too. Are we going to see him? Who knows? Probably not. They'll keep it with seven guys. It's a game where if they show, they just got, they just got punched in the mouth. They got people yelling at the athletic director about what they need to do. How about you, you combine as a program to do something about it. Because if you want to save not only jobs and everything, you want to save this season to be relevant the rest of the way, you go fight in a game like this, whether you win or not. You keep it within a couple possessions and you try your best and do it because that's all we can do because that's fans and people who cover this team. That's what we want. That's what we want to watch tomorrow. So keep it close and fight like hell and, and just try because this team just needs to rebound off the, the catastrophe that they did on Wednesday night. So we'll see if they have it in them and – there's some, I say, favorable matchups ahead. Definitely the next one, but I'd say from here on out, nothing's favorable. You just got to prove yourself here, and we'll see again what they have in them. We say it each time, but we'll see. So, and this game's on CBS Sports Network tomorrow night at seven. For people that don't know that already, so everybody tune in and watch. Hopefully, what they can do. 
maybe they can get the dub. So for Nick Malone. No lurch. As always, go dogs.